Good afternoon. I'm here with um, uh, my financial planner to the stars, uh, Lamont Baxter. <laughs> and so he's done a lot of financial planning for, um, for myself, um, for a lot of the agents here. And so I just asked him to come along today and, and to be on the podcast and just, and just talk about um, some of the things that we need um, as we grow in our financial lives. You guys know me, I'm, I'm really big on um, financial literacy and, and financial wealth, multiple streams of income, but we must also protect um, you know, all of our assets and, and just know what the right products are. And so um, Lamont, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Sure, sure. So I'm a native Washingtonian and I left the area, went to college down in, in Atlanta. I was in the Marine Corps for quite some time. And so when I returned back home, you know, I started this financial services journey right around 1998. So it's been about, actually it was 94. So it's 23, 24 years of service. Um, I currently have a financial planning practice where I specialize in working with uh, families and I also work with business owners. Uh, my main concern with either one of these types of clients is how do we effectively help them accumulate wealth based on what they have from an income perspective and then also how do we make sure they maintain the wealth because there are certain economic factors out there that will drain wealth and i think a lot of people overlook them everybody's really busy doing what it takes to make the money to try to build it but you know there are other things that you have to do once you're building it to maintain it so that's that's my specialty okay well, let, let's get into it. Let, let's start with um, let's start with the four keys um, to unlocking your wealth. Um, you actually gave me a handout. And so the first is annual savings. Talk, talk a little bit about annual savings. Sure. So believe it or not, savings rate, right? The rate in which you save money on a continuous basis is far more impactful and important than investing rates. You know, the thing about savings is every dollar that you put on top of another dollar, it's going to grow 100 percent of the time and savings never goes backwards. And so when people understand that you can save and save and save and save and you should save, what you have built is a, a, a segment of money that is out of the market volatility that's always going to grow. It's always there for safety for whatever reason you need. So that's point one. When you're doing investing, investing should grow, but it can go backwards. And it all depends on what's going on with the market, which you have no control over, Greg. As fabulous as you say that I am a planner, I have no control over what the market does. And so those are two different schools of thoughts that need two different strategies. And um, what about liquidity? Liquidity is important in your savings. And so for me, I have different tactics that I tie together in a strategy, depending on the people's individual situation. I believe that if you are a W-2 or a wage earner, then you need to have somewhere between three to six months of your expenses in a place that's liquid for emergencies. Okay. And so what's liquid is checking account, savings account, some permanent life insurance money market accounts, certificate of deposits have a little bit of liquidity. They may be tied up for a while. What is not liquid is your 401k, your IRA, or if you're a government worker, your thrift savings plan. Those are not liquid accounts. Can you gain access to the money? Yes. There's a cost, there's a penalty, 
and there's limitations if you borrow against it. So liquidity is very important. For people that are entrepreneurs and my business owners, I look for them to have about 12 months of their living expenses in place. And the reason I want more is because look at COVID as a great example. Something may happen that's completely out of your control and it may take at least a year to get back on track. So when I get people to get that in their heads and get the proper amount of liquidity in their savings, we start to now bulletproof a financial plan because now we've taken some of the risk off the table because you have access to capital if you need it. Yeah, I was asked actually yesterday um, by a young lady who's joining my brokerage, she's working full time and her plan is to um, next year um, leave her full time job to sell real estate um, full time. Mm -hmm. And so her and I was talking about a plan and she mentioned that she wanted to save 12 months of expenses or, or, or a hundred thousand dollars. And I was telling her, no, you don't need that much. Maybe six months with, you know, business, you know, business coming in and in business in the pipeline, things like that. But it sounds like she was right. She needs 12 months. Well, uh, you know, her perspective, I like because what she she's not doing what most people do. Most people, when they're doing some sort of planning for the future, they pretend as if every day from now until they turn 100, the weather is going to be 82 degrees, sunny, a slight breeze with no humidity. We know that's not how life unfolds. And so you have to look at the threats to whatever plan that you have in place, and you have to mitigate those threats. You got to have an answer for them or else it'll derail the whole plan. And then you open yourself up for financial failure, which is in my practice, the number one thing to avoid. We are always working with people to help them avoid financial failure. So I like the way she's thinking. I, I believe it's really wise. Plus think of this, Greg, you know, because you, you've been in real estate for decades, you know, I, I think you own like half of the, my city. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that there are times when even the real estate market doesn't cooperate. You know, something happens with mortgages, mortgage rates, the, the funding dries up, the banks get fickle. And, you know, yes, you have real estate and you can sell it and turn that into cash, but the market still has to be in your favor. Right. You have to have the cash to carry that until the market is in your favor. Selling property because you want to is a great strategy. Selling property because you have to typically leads to disaster. Am I right in that? I mean, that, that's what happened to me, um, the recession of 2007, 2008. Um, I sold property because I had to sell property. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I probably could have struggled and held on. I had a small portfolio of about 13 properties back then, and the, the market just crashed. And real estate was one of the first industries that crashed right along with it. And so we weren't selling um, real estate lenders weren't lending. Right. And so, you know, I had, I did have my savings, but I, you know, I, I had a whole lot of equity in my properties and the equity was dwindling. And so slowly, but surely I started to sell, um, not because I wanted to, but because I felt like I had to. Correct. Correct. And, and I do feel like, I feel like you're right. If, if I would have had even more savings, I probably would have been, been okay. And so I think that's one of the lessons that I learned from that recession. You know, we made it through it. 
uh, it was a slow grind. It didn't, it's, it's, it's almost, it, you know, it kind of reminds me of, of the marketplace that we're in now, or at least initially with the pandemic. Uh, but to, to me, the pandemic is kind of recovering a lot faster than it did back during that recession. But it's all about preparation. Right. And, and what, how do you, what, what do you say to people who are number one, um, living paycheck to paycheck, and number two, living above their means? The first thing that I would say to them is you have to be ready to exert some discipline in your life. You know, I can give you all of the strategies in the world, and I know they work. They work for hundreds of my clients, but they all have one common trait, and that is their discipline. So the first thing we look at is cash flow. You know, there's four things that you can do with your money when you make it. You can spend it. You can save it. You can invest it. and You can give it away. That's it. There's nothing else you can do with money. And so you have to make a decision which one of those four areas you want to participate in and to what degree. So I really work hard to help people understand that let's first get you in a savings mindset. A lot of people think that 10% of your income is a good percentage. I completely disagree with that. You know, I think that people should be saving between 20 to 25, maybe as much as 40% of their income. And when I look at other countries around the world where they have a different attitude towards consumerism. See, in America, we want to buy everything and look great. These other countries, they don't do that. They save money. They don't have the same sort of financial woes that we do in America. So I know that saving more works. It's discipline. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to want to change. And I like to go into conversations with people and help them examine where they got their wealth files from. You know, what makes you want to go out and do these things? Is it really necessary? The other thing is create a spending plan. People don't like budgets because they don't like to be told what to do with their money. But a spending plan is slightly different. I acknowledge that when you work, you should spend your money because some of that will help you feel good. But plan it out because there's something I call, you know, daily buying decisions. We all face them every day when we leave our house. Should I take a cup of coffee out with me or should I stop at Starbucks and spend five or six bucks? You know, do I take lunch with me or do I go out to lunch today and spend ten, twelve dollars? Those dollars add up over weeks, months, and years. And if you just take the time to look at that, here's an exercise for all of your listeners. June is about to come. So go celebrate Memorial Day weekend, celebrate our fallen heroes. And in June first, from June first to June thirtieth, here's my challenge to you. Get a book, use your iPhone or your whatever smartphone you have, and every single penny that you spend. I want you to write it down. I want you to be a conscious spender. I want you to be honest and write it down and then examine that at the end of the month. The second thing that people need to understand about spending is this. Cash flow goes to those four areas, but when you go into spending, there's two types of spending. There's money that people spend for maintenance, so you have things that you have to maintain, like your mortgage payment is maintenance payment because you bought a house, car notes, all that stuff is maintenance. The second thing that we spend our money on is life enhancements. So you have life maintenance and you have life enhancements. What I have realized over the decades of doing this is when you enhance your lifestyle, whether you upgrade your technology, your car, your home, in that one year, it's an enhancement. In the following years, it's maintenance. So understand, because people say to me, I don't have any money. And I'm looking at their balance sheet, and as a household, they make two, three, four hundred thousand dollars 
a year as a family. I had one couple that makes over a million dollars and they cry broke all the time. And so what I showed them is the reason that you feel broke and you're living check to check is because every time you get a bump in pay, instead of saving the increase, you decide to enhance your lifestyle. And then you have to maintain the enhancement. Keep, you, keeping up keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah, I haven't met the Joneses yet, and I really don't want to meet them. You know? But <laughs> wherever they are, I gave up trying to keep up with them decades ago. All right? It'll kill you. So just, just think about that. But, you know, your listeners, take that challenge. Go out and as you for the month of June and write down somewhere every single, and I mean everything you buy. If you buy a pack of gum, write it down. Because you will be surprised where your money is going. I guarantee you. What if what if someone says to you, I, I do I am saving my money, but I want to can I use some of that money um, for investments? Great question. So to me, there's a hierarchy of how to deal with cash flow. All right. The very first thing that people should do when they get paid is they have to identify. First of all, let me take a step back. You're working, your job is the the the, the opportunity to create income. Even when you create income through rental properties and anything else, you had to do something to get to that level to create that income, right? So that's your opportunity. The resource that's developed from that opportunity is your income, your cash. So what you have to do, in my mind, to make sure you avoid financial failure is identify everything that's in the universe that can make your income go to zero or make your income become dramatically reduced and you have to mitigate that threat. You have to do that because if you're 25, 35, 45, 55, doesn't matter how old you are, if you are still relying on your income to create your wealth, if it's interrupted for a short period of time or for a long period of time, then your wealth creation plan is already in disarray. It's in danger of failing. So step one is protecting your source of income. Step two is now saving. First for an emergency, get that three to six if you're W-2 or that 12 months if you're an entrepreneur. And once you do those two steps, now we talk about cash flows, liquidity, and that's when investing comes into place. I'm afraid, I'm not afraid. I am, our country and my industry has done a horrible job in messaging this. What you hear when you watch TV, what you hear when you listen to the financial entertainers, is you should be investing in retirement right now and you should put as much money into your retirement plans as possible for as long as possible so when you get to retirement you'll have this big old bucket of money that you can live on to some degree that is true but it's not 100 percent accurate you have to take those other steps first if you want to bulletproof the plan because if something that will interrupt money while you are working were to happen to you when you retire you have the same problem and if you haven't mitigated it, now that big bucket that you created, the job description wants to pay you money to develop cash flow for you while you're retired. You have to redeploy that money because now that emergency came into place and it may decimate your portfolio, especially if it is in a season like 2007, 2008. Just think about the people that retired and they went out and party and then that crisis hit they had a million dollars or more in their investment portfolio and all of a sudden it's dwindled by half. How do you feel? Because you need that money to last you the rest of your life. 
that's why people went back to work because they felt like they had no choice. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about um, tax advantages or tax savings. So, you know, if you look at the historical perspective of taxation in the country, what you will realize is, believe it or not, where we are today, we are in historical low income tax rates. All right. People hate paying taxes and they feel like they pay too much in taxes. But the reality is right now we are in historically low tax rates. So when I'm planning through with clients, I am teaching them, hey, the time to pay income taxes is when the rates are as low as possible. That's number one, because when you get again, if we're talking about retirement income, when you get further down the line, you don't want to have to deal with taxes in retirement if the rates go up. So you have to form an opinion as to whether you think taxes are going to stay historically low like they are now or if they're going to go up in the future. and You got to pay the piper then. That's one thought. The second thought is any money that you can grow today, right, tax free or, or grow without taxation is going to spend far more powerfully in money that you can spend with taxes. OK, and then. You, you know, as you start to look at those two things, that's how we start to look at what I call tax efficient strategies for investing and saving. All right. There should be a balance of three different buckets that you put money into taxable buckets, tax deferred buckets and tax free buckets. So what do I mean by that? The taxable bucket is things that you put money into today. So you make money, you pay taxes, you put in the taxable bucket. If it ever grows, when you take the money out, you may own some more taxes on it. What am I talking about? Investments, because you have capital gains taxes. Real estate is a is a is a you know investment property. You have capital gains taxes. Okay, checking account, savings account, money market, certificate of deposits. If there's an interest rate and you actually make money in these vehicles, you have to pay taxes on that, right? So that's your taxable bucket. The tax deferred bucket is what most people are doing, and that's your four hundred one k your IRA for the federal government worker, your TSP, your, that's through savings plan. That's tax, which means you make money, you break a piece of that money off and put it in a bucket before you tax it. So you're going to defer the taxes to later. It's going to grow and you're not going to pay taxes. But when you take the money out of that bucket, you have to pay income taxes. So when you look at the types of taxes that people pay, income taxes is mostly the highest ones that we have to pay, even though we're in a low rate. Okay. And then the third back bucket is tax-free. You make some money, you pay taxes on the money you made, you put some in the tax-free bucket. If, if and when the money grows, when you take it out, it's still tax-free. You don't have to pay any taxes on it. So Lamont, talk a little bit about the tax-free bucket. What are, what are some of the actual vehicles that one could use to, to grow their, their, their wealth tax-free? Sure. There are really two main buckets that the Internal Revenue Service gives us an opportunity to develop and grow wealth tax-free. And one of these buckets, and one of these uh, um, products is in the market, meaning it's exposed to the same market volatility as anything else that you would invest in in the stocks and bonds and that kind of stuff. And that is called a Roth IRA. Okay, so the Roth IRA is a great place to put money if you are young and you are just starting to work, you should be putting any retirement money that you want to contribute into a Roth IRA. Why? If you're just starting out in your career, in all likelihood, 
you are at the lowest part of your earning level, which means that you're going to pay the least amount of taxes and income. So it makes sense since you're, going, you're at the lowest point of, of, of earnings and you're paying the least amount of taxation to just pay the taxes now and put it into a vehicle that's going to grow and be invested on your behalf for the next 20, 25, 30 years without any taxation later or at all. So that's one thing to think about. Um, the downside of that is it's in the market. And so if you can't stand the volatility of it in the market, that's a little scary. You know, there is a contribution limitation to the amount of money you can put into that you can contribute into a Roth and it's $6,000 uh, $6, a year. You know, unless you are 50 and older, then you get an, an additional 1,000, so that's 7,000 a year. But other than that, it's a solid investment vehicle, great for tax-free growth. The other vehicle is some permanent life insurance. You know, and there are, you know, three different types of permanent life insurances, but the main idea is to understand that inside of a permanent life insurance policy, there's something called cash value. And that cash grows income tax-free and the debt benefit is dispensed income tax-free. So people say, well, you know, I'm not really concerned about the death benefit because I don't care what happens to the money when I die. Well, while you are alive, you have full access to that cash value to do anything you want to do, whatever you want to do. And the difference between the Roth and the permanent life insurance is this. The Roth is market-driven. The life insurance is not. The Roth has an amount of time in which you cannot take out your growth. Now, you can take your contributions out without any problem because you've already paid taxes on them. But you have to leave the growth of the money in for at least five years. Otherwise, you'll be subjected to a penalty. With the permanent life insurance, that does not exist. If the cash is there, you can take it when you want to. So what I think is, and the conversation I have with people is, how much money do you want in the market? How much money do you want out of the market? When they give me the percentage, the strategy for the tax-free bucket, we go into the Roth with that percentage, and then we go into the permanent life insurance with the other percentage. So you have a simultaneous growth in two different assets. And that really is helpful when you get to retirement because of this. When the markets are going down, the last thing you want to do is pull money out of your retirement accounts or your investment accounts. I don't care where they are. Because selling in a down market means that you are being forced to sell low. That's breaking rule 101, which is buy low, sell high. Just like when you buy real estate, you want to buy the cheap. You want to grow and let it go. You don't want to sell it low. So right. they both run the same, uh, uh, follow the same rule. So if you're in a situation where you need to liquidate asset, assets for income, what you really want to be able to do is pull from a principal protected bucket, meaning this is savings, never goes backwards. Doesn't matter what the market is doing. You can pull it out. And if it's a tax-free bucket as well, that's a double bonus for you. And so, um, and we'll, we'll we'll talk about protection in a second. But some of the some of the uh, uh, life insurance um, um, policies are great for um, building your wealth through um, tax free vehicles. Yeah, absolutely. Life insurance is one of the most powerful wealth building assets if it is properly placed. And the way that you can determine whether your policy is properly placed is you have to examine everything else that you got, you got going on. It's got to fit into the strategy, you know? So when you are looking at individual tactics, 
and making these decisions in a vacuum, that's when people get into trouble. But if you take everything and put it in some sort of organized fashion, you know, a balance sheet of some sort or a model of some sort, and you look at the total wealth portfolio, look at all of your assets that are in the market, all of your assets that are out, determine how much of a percentage you want in and out of the market, and then determine how much you want in this tax-free bucket, it will lead you to the proper type of policy. As opposed to, I want this particular policy because that's what the guy told me to get. Okay, let's find out if that makes sense for you. That's good. All right, um, before we get to protection, let's talk about minimal risk. Well, minimal risk is something that needs to be examined based on how much money, again, back to that concept of in the market and out. You know, when you have your stuff in the market, how comfortable are you with risk? So there's a something called standard deviation that we use when people say to me, I want a 10% rate of return, or I want a 12% rate of return. First of all, I cannot ensure that you're going to get this, okay? But I can look at the past activity and performance of these types of investments, and we have an indicator of where these things may go. Inside of that conversation is going to be a conversation about risk, and I boil it down to a real simple question. If you got $100,000, if you got a million dollars, doesn't really matter how much, and it's in this portfolio, how much are you willing to lose in order to have the opportunity to gain? So are you willing to lose $200,000 of your million to have an opportunity to gain, you know, uh, another 150 or 120? Or are you willing to lose $400,000 of your million and an opportunity to have the million go up to a million three? You know, we, we have to feel, figure out where you are in order to make sure that you are in that right risk profile and so that's one thing going back to again the permanent life insurance because it's guaranteed growth inside of that tax-free bucket there is no risk that's as minimal as you can get zero okay so you know that's another way to offset the risk that you take with your investments so it's, it's a individual appetite but there has to be an examination of where you are and that examination is not one-off that's something that has to be revisited every year. Because I can tell you now, Greg, I give people a risk analysis on a, a sunny, bright day, and you know they went to breakfast before they came to the meeting, so their belly's full, and they're enjoying some coffee, and they're, they're pretty risky. But if it's raining outside, and somebody just hit their car the day before, <laughs> you know, and the dog, you know, pee peed on the whatever in the house, they're not so risky because they're in a bad attitude. So there's a lot of you know, emotion tied to this risk tolerance. And the other thing that I also am really good at educating my clients on is investor behavior. That's the biggest risk to portfolio load. And what do I mean by that? I see this a lot in the federal government space. And no offense to my federal employees on here, but I just see it. Because of their investment vehicle, the thrift savings plan, they have access to it and they manage it themselves. And it's really easy for them to move money around. So when they hear something on the news, or see something on TV, or they get this gut feeling, oh, I think the market's gonna move, they'll move their money out of the market and then flee to safety. And then the market will go down, or the market, you know, it, you know, it, it either it is, or they wait till it goes down and move, and then they don't get back in. So they're trying to market time. That's the number one thing that kills everybody's ability to get the most return on their investment is your behavior, not mine but just jumping in and out of market. We don't, look, we're smart people. We're not that smart. You know, the thing is to minimize risk is to spread it amongst 
a well-diversified portfolio in assets. And I don't mean a bunch of different stocks. I mean different asset classes. You have equities, you have commodities, you have real estate, you have, when you go across that, it's 14,000 markets. People think there's three or four, because we always talk about the S&P 500, the Dow Jones. It's 14,000 markets. We need to spread you amongst a lot of that so you can balance out the risk. And then we also need to have money that's completely out of the market so that it can make sure that that risk is nullified when you don't need to take the money out. Good. That's good, good information. Um, before we move on to protection, those of you that are on, if you have any questions, go ahead and put them in the comment section and we'll be sure to um, answer those questions. Um, uh, Lamont's been a, a financial planner for years. He's, he's, um, he's helped both me and, and my agents um, over the years. And so if you have any questions, go ahead and, um, and put them in the comment section. And so let, let's talk about protection. And um, protection is something that um, I'm really concerned about, not just not just with myself, but also for, you know, my agents, my real estate investors. You know, I want to make sure that our lives are protected, our assets are protected. And so why don't you get started? I know there's different types of um, protection, um, but why don't we just get the conversation started with protection? OK, so here is my philosophy on protection. As I stated earlier, the most valuable resource that we all have is the income that we bring in. Because I want you to think about this. Your income allows you to save for retirement. Your income allows you to save for today. It allows you to pay your mortgages, to feed your family, to educate your children, to take your vacations. So that is the resource that gives you the ability to live your life today and to build your life today and build it to the future. When it comes to protection, what are we protecting? Okay, we are protecting the, that lifestyle. That's what we're protecting. Everybody on this call, everybody that I meet, we only go to work for one of two reasons. First, for the money. And then some of us are fortunate enough where we made enough money, so we go to work for the meaning. You know, it's it's who we become, it's who we are. You know, as I traveled the world and came back to the States, the thing that I found really interesting is everywhere else that I've been, most of the places, when you ask people, you know, uh, what, you know, when, when you talk about work in America, people say, I am, and they fill in the blank. Like, I am a real estate broker, I am a financial planner, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer. So we identify our personality with what we do, with the meaning, okay? Other countries, they just say, you know, oh, I'm a dad, I'm a mom, but I work as a... So meaning is very important as much as the money. The protection is this. We have to protect the money because that's the only way that we're going to continue to be able to have that meaning. It's also the only way we're going to be able to do what we need to do from a financial perspective. So I look at what are the things in the universe that can make your income go to zero and what are the things in the universe that can reduce your day. So... There are really four things, maybe four and a half. The first thing that can dramatically decrease your ability to generate money is a serious injury or death, or, or, or sickness, rather. You know, if you don't have enough sick leave, if you don't work for a place where people can give you sick leave, then you're going to have your income greatly diminish. Most people get some sort of coverage that allows them to get some of that income in place from their employer. 
A lot of people don't have any of that. So understanding that an illness or serious injury can take away your income is a realization that you should have and there should be a plan in place to deal with that. The second thing that can make your income go to zero is if you don't wake up tomorrow. If you're living and you're working for a check, you don't come to work tomorrow because you don't you don't wake up tomorrow. That check goes to zero. How does that impact your family? How does that impact paying for the kids' college? How does that impact getting the mortgage paid off? And everything that you and your spouse or your significant other or you've been working on all your life. So you have injury, you have death. The third thing is job loss. Well, I gave you the key to mitigating the risk of job loss, save money. If you lose your job, but you got a six months to a year's worth of your expenses in the bank, you can go look for another job. It may not be at the same level, but you can certainly continue to live your lifestyle and get back on the track. And the last thing that will you know, make your income go to zero, and this is actually a good thing, is retirement. Because what is retirement? Retirement is I no longer go to work, so my income, my paycheck is going to zero. What I need now to have happen, I need my assets to turn into cash and maintain my, my lifestyle. And that's what retirement planning is all about, making sure that all your assets can help you maintain your lifestyle when you retire. So the protection is those four things. You look at the things that you can put in place to mitigate that risk. And if you do just that, you are well on your way to protecting and bulletproofing your financial plan and your life. And so let's talk a little more about um, the life insurance. Okay. Uh, let's be a little more specific on which type of life insurance um, and you know, what, what's best for kind of kind of my targeted audience? Okay, so for everybody, the number one decision about life insurance is this. It's how much insurance do I need to have? And the way you answer that question is, whatever you make a year in the salary and however long you have to continue working, that gives you the start of how much life insurance you need. So let me make the math simple. If I'm 45, and my retirement date is 67, okay, then that means I'm planning on working for the next 23 years, 22 years, right? So if it's 22 years and I make $100,000 a year, then you should probably start looking at $2.2 million of insurance because that will fully replace your income if you don't wake up tomorrow. That's where I would start. Then we would go to the right type. And there are really two types of life insurance. There's temporary insurance and there's permanent insurance. Under the category of temporary, you have term. It's just like leasing a house. There's a term on the lease. So one-year lease, five-year lease, ten-year lease. Life insurance is the same way. It's a one-year term, five-year term, ten-year term, twenty-year term. Or you may buy a term policy that goes to a certain age. The purpose of that is to understand this is not going to help me create wealth, but it's going to protect everything that I'm building as I'm going along. And if I don't wake up, then my family gets the money. So that's the temporary. The permanent does that plus. Because inside of permanent life insurance policies, as I said earlier, you have the ability to save money and the policies will generate cash themselves. It's like when you buy a house. When you buy a house, there's no equity in the house. 
The only equity in the house is if, is the money that you put in for a down payment in most cases, not the investors. I'm talking about buying a house you live in. Okay. So your equity is low, but if you keep this house for 30 years, cause you got a 30 year mortgage, you're paying into it. As you're making your payments, the house is appreciating in value in a normal market, which gives you equity that you can use for any reason at any time. That's the same way permanent life insurance works. There's equity. We call it cash value that you can use at any time for any reason. So those, that's how they work. Now, there are many, many different types of permanent life insurance. I say there's the least permanent to the most permanent. You know, the least permanent is something called a variable universal life policy. I call it least permanent because when you pay your money into these policies, what happens is a portion of the premium, that's the money you're paying in, is invested into the stock market on your behalf. So as the market goes, so does the cash value go in that policy. And as you get older, the thing that you need to know about a variable universal life policy is that even though your premium may be fixed, the cost of the insurance rises every year because insurance is priced off of your age, off of your health, and the death benefit. So as that price is going up every year and the market activity is happening in there, you could find yourself in a position where a down market has eaten up the profitability inside of your cash value so that it would cover the cost that was ever rising. So that's why I call that the least permanent. And I see those policies blow up all the time. So going from the least to the middle is something called a universal life or sometimes index universal life. Operates exactly the same with a small difference. There's a floor in these policies, okay? And the floor is zero. But they also, in order to give you that guaranteed safety, there's also a cap and the cap may be 8%. And so the market does this thing. If the market does 2%, you get 2% credited to your cash value. If the market does 8%, you get 8% credited to your cash value. If the market does 16%, you still get 8% credited to your value. And the insurance company keeps the other eight. That's how they profit on these. That's a fair change because in exchange for you giving up some of your upside, they're guaranteeing you that there's not gonna be any downside. So if the market does a negative one or a negative 100, you lose zero. So that's the safety net. Here's the danger. You have to manage these policies as aggressively as you do every other investment that you have because it is a market-driven, a market-sensitive asset, and you have to pay attention to it because the cost of insurance, again, goes up every year because you get older. And if you don't overfund the policy by putting more money into it, to cover the cost, they take the cost out of the cash value, which is your profit. These things can work really well as long as you pay attention to them as vigorously as you pay attention to any other investment. And then the most permanent type of insurance is plain old whole life. Whole life insurance has a guaranteed interest rate from the insurance company. That's number one. If you're dealing with a mutual company, they also allow you to participate in their dividends. So what's a mutual company versus a stock hill life insurance company? Stock hill companies are the same across the country. If you buy stock at IBM or in Bennett Realty when he goes public, you know, he's going to share in his profitability with all of his stockholders. And he's going to do that in the form of a dividend payment. He could. So his board of directors will declare a dividend and they'll say, okay, we're going to share with our stockholders X amount percent in there. 
Mutual life insurance companies do the same thing because they don't have stockholders. And so if you have a permanent life insurance policy with these companies, when their board of directors declares a dividend, then they share the profitability with you. The profitability of the dividend and the insurance rate is the guaranteed method or is the mechanism that helps the cash grow in your policy. And the other two is market-driven activity and the whole life policy is the guarantee based on the strength of the insurance company and the dividend. Now, dividends are never, ever, ever guaranteed. Okay? The interest rate is, but the dividends are not. However, most of the mutual companies, at least the ones that I work with, the ones that I put my clients in, they have not missed a dividend payment to their clients in over 150 years. So they are very strong. They're financially strong. So it's a matter of, again, when people talk about how to pick insurance, let's start with the end in mind. What do you want this thing to do for you? We got to start there, and then we can figure out what's the right way to go. Um, all of these products are good as long as you have the end in mind and you manage them properly. And so Sylvia is asking, um, what do you advise for people over 60 years old? And, and, I, and I know the answer is probably going to be it depends. But uh, for people over 60 years old, I mean, I'm, the first thing that came to mind would be a term. But, but what do you think? Well, you were right. It depends. Okay. So let me preface it by saying that. However, here's what I see happening with a lot. And I work with a lot of retirees. Okay, and a lot of 60 to 65 to 70 year old people still buy life insurance. They can buy a permanent policy because they know it's going to have a return on their money. The question is, where are you funding this policy from? You know, so a Roth conversion strategy works well for people that are already in retirement, because what I found is you may have already accumulated a bucket of money. In, in that tax-deferred bucket, remember those three bucks, taxable, tax-deferred, tax-free. So you have this tax-deferred bucket, and in that bucket, you know, when you pull money out of there, it's going to be income tax, all right? Well, you could do something like a Roth strategy where we can get some of that money out. You may have to pay taxes on it now while rates are low, but you can put it back into that policy, use it to fund that policy, and then let the rest of the money grow for the rest of your life tax-free. That allows you to do something that a lot of people don't understand. And that is when right now in the current law, when we turn 72, there's something called a required minimum distribution that's put in force by the Internal Revenue Service. And what that means is this 401ks, traditional IRAs, thrift savings plans, SEP IRAs, simple IRAs, anything where you were in that tax deferred bucket at the age of 72, they're going to force you to take money out of that bucket whether you needed to live on or not purely because they want to tax the money and so if you know that's coming because we've done planning and we look down the road and we see what is what's going to come your way it may make sense to spend that money now while taxes are low put it into this tax-free bucket and then let it grow because once you get down there you moved it out of the way of what i like to call the tax train it's not coming towards you anymore you got tax-free growth and if you have a legacy objective of transferring your wealth to anyone or any organization, it's going to transfer track tax-free now. But if you keep it in those assets that I talked about earlier, the person that receives them, they're going to have tax consequences. And they could be from having to take required minimum distributions to 
having to pay full taxes on the full amount immediately upon receipt, or at least by the end of the tax year. So these are the things that we take into consideration when we're talking about tax strategies, Greg. We have to look at where you are today, where your money is. The three things, there's asset allocation, right? Um, how do we want to diversify our portfolios? The second thing is asset location. Where do we have these assets located? In the market, out of the market, tax-free or taxable, right? It's part of the plan as well. And then the third thing is what I like to call orchestration. You know, asset, we're going to orchestrate all this stuff together instead of making individual decisions. So that's a long-winded answer to that question. But as you said, it does depend. We have to look at your situation. Uh, but no, life insurance is not out of the question because you're 65 or 70. It's not. So I think I told you I've been studying the insurance industry. Mm-hmm. And so and one thing that I've seen is um, there's a large percentage of African-Americans who actually don't have life insurance. Right. Um, tell, tell me why. Um, as I talk to uh, this demographic of folks, us, what I uncover is some really silly answers. Like, well, if I die, my wife is young and she's pretty, she can, you know, we can't, <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, she's young and she's pretty today. But after you guys pump out a few kids, I mean, who's going to want to take care of your five bad kids? I, I just don't know. So if that's the plan, let's bring your wife in here and see what she feels about that. Mind you, I only get that answer when I'm in the room but with just the husband. Okay. But there's this misconception of I don't want to make somebody rich off of my death. You know, like a lady literally said this to me the other day. I don't really care about getting life insurance for me, for my husband to get, because if I die, what's going to happen is he's probably going to meet some woman and she's going to be younger than me, and then they're going to be living off my money. And then they may have kids, and now him and his kids are going to be living off my money. You know, so I mean, that's a dark way to look at things. I would ask you to turn that coin over and just say, listen, you and your family, okay, are building something. And if you are building something, you want to make sure that nothing gets in the way of you completing that mission, whether you are here or not. You know, what they do with what you built when you're gone, that really shouldn't be a concern. So you have to make it a, you know, that's one of the things that I see in the black community. I see a lot of that. I do, you know, I, I do financial literacy for a group called SOFA, S-O-F-A, which stands for the Society for Financial Awareness. And in these webinars, in these seminars, I hear that a lot, specifically when I'm in the black churches and the black businesses. The other thing is I hear people say, well, Warren Buffett said he wasn't leaving his kids anything. He's going to make them earn it themselves. Well, there's something to be said about that. Okay, but the reality is this. When you leave this earth, if you have accumulated anything, it's going to go to somebody or something. It's either going to go to your family because you've taken the proper steps to make sure that that wealth transfer is occurring and it's going to occur efficiently. It's going to go to a charity or organization because that's where you want to go. And if you haven't taken the steps to ensure an efficient wealth transfer, it's going to go to the government. And they're going to chop it up and do what they want to do with it. So we, we got to think past ourselves. You know, old Chinese proverb is you don't plant a tree so you can sit in the shade. You plant a tree so that generations behind you can sit in the shade. That's the mentality that we should adopt. Along the way, the protection aspect is going to make sure that you can plant that tree 
And it's also going to make sure that as you are planting, you get to enjoy some of the fruits of your labors. And, and I, I do believe that the lack of insurance has a lot to do with um, the lack of generational wealth built by African-Americans because it, that, that insurance is the protection of that generational wealth and the assets that have been accumulated. And once, you know, the, the major breadwinner passes away, for a lot of people, we see this in the real estate industry, you know, they've got to sell their assets. They've got to sell their houses because now there's no one there to, um, you know, make those mortgage payments and things like that because they didn't get the proper insurance. Right. And, so, and so just kind of one last time before we move on, um, can you just really kind of expound on the importance of insurance? If you have any concern whatsoever about the survivability of your household, then insurance is one of the most important things that you should be talking about and have in place to give you peace of mind. It's just that simple. You know, when people pass away prematurely, it's financially devastating. You already lost mom or dad because of an early death. So the emotional toll is incalculable. Now you have to worry about, all right, I can't even take off and grieve the loss of my spouse or my loved one because I have to go to work in order to maintain the household. And oh, by the way, I'm missing his or her income. So that adds so much stress to your life and to your family that you know it just is a spiral in a negative direction. That's number one. Number two, you all know it, and you've seen in the black church when somebody passes away, you get that email, you get that phone call, can we take up a collection for sister or brother because they can't even afford to be buried. So that's a red flag that if they can't afford to be buried, you know that whatever lifestyle they were currently living is about to be turned upside down. And so what we have been doing as a community, and I don't know why, well, I do know why, but we don't have enough time on this podcast. That's a whole other podcast in and of itself. But one of the things that we have to understand as a community is we have now identified and we've got other races of people to identify and actually start to accept the fact that the systematic racism did not just apply to, well, I'll say it this way, the systematic racism applied fully to the financial and the economic principles that allow America to become the great economic power that it is today. Black people were systematically left out of that. And so our mindset sometimes reflect that. So now we don't have as much of that as an excuse. It still exists, but it's nowhere near as prevalent as it used to be. If it was, you couldn't be one of the best and biggest real estate brokers in this area, you know? You couldn't be. So what we have to do is take advantage of the little steps that we have made forward. Life insurance is one of the mechanisms that will ensure that you can pass on a legacy of wealth. And wealth does not mean being filthy rich. Wealth means that you have the tool called money that allows you to make other decisions that people that don't have that tool called money in their toolbox to use. It gives you other opportunities that other people don't have. For instance, our counterparts who use life insurance, when they pass away, their kids and their grandkids, at bare minimum, have some money for, if not complete, payment for college education. 
We, on the other hand, don't have that. And so when we go get our college education, we either have to work our way through college, nothing wrong with that, or we have to go into massive student loan debt. And that is oppressive, and that's by design. So you, we have to stop thinking about you know us. What, what do we do in our generation now? We, we recognize these things and we turn on the switches and, and sharpen the tools that you have with the strategies that are available out there. And, and listen to me, I don't care what kind of insurance it is, life insurance, as long as it's properly placed and it's the right amount, is one of the central keys to wealth distribution. If you want to invest all your money in your 401k or your TSP or IRAs, you can do that. Just understand that when you get to the end of the road and you pass that money on, 40 to 50% of that money is going to be lost to taxation. So if you have a million dollar life insurance policy and a million dollars in your retirement account, I should say, or one or the other, you know, when you pass away, somebody's getting a million dollars tax free that they can build on, or somebody's going to get half of your retirement account that they got to pay taxes on. Secondly, if you do have the life insurance, guess what? In retirement, you get to spend your money because you got something to replace it. You don't have to worry about not spending and not living life and not enjoying retirement after working a whole career. Spend that money, live your life, you know, do it up. Spend every penny because when you close your eyes, you got this life insurance is going to replace every penny that you spend. So it just makes your life and it makes your family's life bigger and better. And oh, by the way, for you business owners that are on the call, there are things that life insurance can do for you and your business partner. For instance, if Greg and I were 50-50 partners, all business owners have some sort of uh, operational agreement. And all of the operational agreement that we examine, me and my attorneys and my CPAs, they all have some language in there that says, hey, if Lamont passes away, Greg gets the first opportunity to buy Lamont's 50% of the business. That's the way they designed it. Well, we may start out with that, and it's great, and then we build this, you know, empire like Greg is doing. Greg may not have enough money to buy out Lamont. So now Greg's in business with Lamont's wife. I love my wife. I don't know. <laughs> That's problematic. And it also opens the door for somebody else to come in with money and have a hostile takeover situation. Guess what? You two should buy a life insurance policy, have the company buy a life insurance policy, on each of our lives so when i pass away the proceeds go to greg so that greg can give that money to my estate and buy me out no money out of his pocket other than premiums for the life show this is not just a family thing with wealth transfer it's also a business thing with wealth transfer and there are hundreds and hundreds of strategies that should be examined but please stop looking at life insurance as your enemy it is not an enemy it has to be examined it has to be properly placed in order for it to be efficient for and so, look, Lamont, we're kind of running out of time. I want to get into assets, liabilities, net worth, things like that. If, if you could kind of sum those things up. Yep. I will say this. When you look at your net worth and the definition of net worth, simply put, is you take your assets and your liabilities and you subtract the liabilities from the assets. And whatever that number is, is your net worth. A lot of financial planners plan around that number. I personally do not. And here's why. That's a snapshot of today. OK, because I can I can give you that number and I could be worth one or two million dollars, you know, dollars and then go buy a, a Lamborghini and blow, you know, half a million dollars on a car. And now my net worth just went down by half a million dollars. It's good to know where it is. 
it's a good place to check in. And that's what that number should be for. The thing that I like to focus on within the net worth is the asset location. Where is your net worth? Where are the assets that make up your net worth located? Because when I look at that, I can talk to you about, okay, these assets need to be rearranged because you are heading down the path of huge taxation because you got too much in this bucket of assets versus that one. So that's the importance of that. Building assets, again, is only going to be completed if you take in the protection first. Because if a life event were to show up and disrupt your income, then not only will you not have the ability to continue building your assets, but you may have to now deploy assets that you've already built to cover the lack of income. And so that hurts you today, and it also hurts your future. My clients understand that every dollar that they put into my care has a job description. And so when I'm building a 401k, an IRA, a TSP, the job description is retirement. The job description is to generate cash flow in retirement. It is not to be an emergency fund. If you don't have an emergency fund, I will tell you stop funding your retirement account until you build up an emergency fund because that is priority. Retiring 25, 30, 35, 40 years from now is not as high as a priority as making sure you have money if you need it next week, next month, next year. And so that's what it is. The hierarchy of money has to be respected in order for you to continuously build assets and enjoy them in retirement. And so, Lamont, how can people get a hold of you? <coughs> My website is protectsaveandgrow.com. ProtectSaveAndGrow.com. You can look at all of the stuff we do there. My company profile is up there. If you want to reach out to me directly, then you can email me at ProtectSaveAndGrow at me.com. Okay? ProtectSaveAndGrow at me.com. Or I'm going to throw this out there. I hope there are not 3,000 people on here. You can call me or just text me on my cell phone. That number is 301 806 7151. Again, 301-806-7151. You leave me a voice message or you send me a text message, we'll set something up. And if you tell me that you heard this podcast and you are a friend of Gregory Bennett, what I will do for you is do an initial comprehensive consultation for you. It takes about an hour to 90 minutes, and I will do that for absolutely free because I want you to see the power of putting everything in an organized fashion so that you can learn how to make financial decisions as a in an organized fashion and not individual vacuum. So you tell me you saw this, we'll do that for free. All right, Lamont, I appreciate that. Um, and so what advice and kind of closing remarks, what, what advice would you give everybody? They, they hear me talk a lot about real estate. I know that there's more to um, financial planning and, and building generational wealth more than real estate. You know, you've got to protect those assets. So what what advice would you give kind of kind of in closing remarks? I would say, you know, understand that the hierarchy is protect, save and grow. Number one. And when you get to the save part, I would say save more than you're saving now and be really smart on where you're saving the money. So if you just if you just save more, you will be in a better financial position Regardless of what investments do, regardless of how much money you make, you will be in a far better position. All right. Thank you for that. Thank you for being here. Thank you for uh, spending your time with me today, Lamont. 
And thank you guys. If you have any questions offline, you guys uh, all know how to get a hold of me. Um, you can get a hold of me on my Instagram, uh, Greg Bennett Invest. Uh, most of you guys know my numbers. Um, um, this will be up on, on YouTube. Um, it's, it's on Facebook Live now. So it'll be on my Facebook, my YouTube, and uh, Instagram. Um, but take heed, you guys. Um, we're, we're failing um, as a community on protecting our assets, even even saving. We, we try to keep up with the Joneses and we're not doing enough to protect our future and protect our loved one's future. And so a lot of what Lamont talks about, and that's why I want to bring him on here, he talks about that and we've, we've got to take heed. And so let's get the proper protection and save and then grow. All right, Lamont. Look up, you guys can find me out there in social media land too. I forgot about that. So I'm on Facebook under, uh, just look up my name, Lamont J. Baxter. You look it up, you'll find me on Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm even on Instagram. have no idea how to work that, but I'm there. <laughs> right. My IG name is DC Money in Motion. So, you know, that's who you can find me on social media just to reach out. Okay. All right. Take care, you guys. Have a great day.